good. As a club. Yeah, good. Fuck, it's weird. I've never visited anyone inside before. I know. You got a good lawyer? Yeah, look, he's pretty good. But he's fucking exy. Yeah. Yeah. Anything I can do? Uh, I got a mate looking into it, so uh, see what happens. But I appreciate it. Okay. How's your kid? Yeah, she's good. She's uh, growing up. Yeah. How old is she now? Twelve. Yeah. Yeah. She's at that stage. Uh, she just wants to hang out with her friends and that. And mm. uh, yeah, feel a bit left out, but. Yeah, mate, I hear you, but don't take it personally. It's how kids are built. Mm. You know, they need you, which is great, and then one day they don't, and it's uh, it's hard in a way, but uh, they come back. Yeah. Hey, uh, I've got a job for you if you're interested. Yeah, well, I'm going to be in here for a while, mate, so... Uh, yeah, no, the job's in here. What's that? The, the job's in here. Ah, okay. Um, it's a guy called Johnny Tran. You know him? No. It's, it's not for me. It's for a guy I know. And what's the job? Well, the guy's being a bit of a dickhead, so, you know, just fuck him up a bit. Nothing... Permanent. How much? Ten. What do you reckon? Mm. Oh. <sighs> yeah. How's the food mean? That good? Killer Casting. This is Lisa and Betty. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles. And well, you guys know what we're doing. We are headed right into the heart of the beast of this wonderful show that we love so much, Mr. In Between. We already covered episode one of season three, and we're just going to jump right in and go into episode two, which had some really interesting tones to it. I want to talk to my beautiful, sexy beast about what they made of the whole thing. So, Bri Bri, say hello to the nice people. What up? Hello, hello. Um, and my dear Blender from Down Under, say hello. Hi, everyone. Right. Great to be on board. Okay, and, and listeners, our lovely listeners, listen, we have so many cool things coming down the pike for Mr. In-Between. I can't even believe it. Thanks to my sexy beast, Brian and Dean, who have reached out to the cast of Mr. In-Between. We've got some, like, bona fide big fucking stars that are going to come on the show and talk to us about their roles. I can't even believe it. I'm so excited. Today we are going into episode two, which is called Champ, um, for reasons we will get into, but we are back into the jail. Again, this has got to be the nicest, low-risk prison or jail. As you said, it's remand, whatever. It's, remand. it's, 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 it's remand, yeah. yeah. But it's still full of, you know, like nasty people as we see in this episode, yeah. Yeah, so Ray and Adam, you know, they're washing up. He's following them around like a puppy. 
And they're talking, what do you make of this conversation? They're talking about cars. They're talking, um, Adam is telling him that Audi is a shit car and blah, blah, blah. I, I just. No, no, it was about the drivers. It was like, oh, a- Audi drivers are the worst drivers. So it was like a. Does little, Ray drive uh, an Audi? Was that the point of it? No, he drives a he drives a Beamer. No, he, I think it, no, he, he's up to a Beamer now. He's been upgrading throughout the uh, the episodes. He started out with like a locally made um, Holden Commodore, which is like part say GM uh, uh-huh. equivalent, and then he's and then and then through the show, he's slowly been upgrading his cars as uh, as he's got more money. It's been quite. Oh, funny. I didn't uh, but I, I I feel like. He always has driven the BMW. All the other cars we've seen him in are like the decoy cars when he does a job. Mm. That's the way I've always mm. interpreted that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think, well, I think you're um, right. Because when he picks Britty up, I think he's always in kind of the nicer car, the, the BMW. But yeah, when he's doing a job, he's got kind of the burner cars. I have to go <laughs> back and look, but that was my impression. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, it's one more reason to binge. You know, two things real quick. One, I am going to... When the last episode comes out, I'm just going to pause. I'm just going to put it to the side and I'm going to, it's going to come out, what, midweek. I'm going to try and do this regardless of the fact that it might be a Thursday, Friday or a single day. I'm going to, I'm going to burn every single episode from one all the way through oh to the second last ep of uh, season three. And then I'm just going to roll straight into the final ep. You know so I'm going to watch the whole thing the like finale. a giant. You guys yeah. from- Finale, we should do a watch party. We should watch it together. Oh, what a great idea. Just comment as we go. Yeah. Wouldn't that be Uh, good? Okay. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, Okay. the second thing I wanted to just give a shout out is if people are listening to this episode, um, you're probably fans of Mr. Inbetween. If you haven't noticed, there is a fantastic um, Mr. Inbetween Facebook page. Uh, It's modded by a great guy called Cody, uh, who's actually from Pennsylvania. So he's from Mayertown. There's a couple of thousand people on there and we just all jam and, and rave about Ray as we do on this podcast. So if you're not a member on there yet or you didn't know it existed and you'd like to chat about plot lines and just generally hang out with other fans of Mr. Inbetween, look for the Mr. Inbetween Facebook page on Facebook, of course. Very good. Um, good to know there are more of us out there. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, guys. So let's let's talk about what happens next. So um, Adam's following around Ray like a little puppy. They're chitty chatting, and they run into this other guy, this other inmate who comes up. It looks kind of like a tough guy, lean and mean. And Ray, they chat each other up, and just as they're about to walk away, what happens, right? Uh, Adam calls him champ, which mm-hmm. is basically prison code for cocksucker. Is that true here? I've never heard this. Not, not, I don't think it's here. I think it's, I think it's regional to Australia. Cause I don't think that's a thing here. Yeah. Dino, yeah, have you ever heard that before? Well, th- thank you once again, Lisa, for assuming my intimate knowledge of the inside of prison. Um, assuming <laughs> looking at me, I must have served time, whether I'm a champer or a champ E, uh, or whatever. I don't know, but no, I, I, I didn't know about that, but you know, everything that Ray does is, uh, his character is so, um, authentic. I, I wouldn't mind betting it is. I should have Googled it actually, but so anyway. Show, Brian, I'm not super crazy about the setup for that because it would make sense if like they were in like the yard and somebody was boxing or and they kind of, you know, it kind of transitioned out of seeing the guy boxing or, or something so that Adam would have had sort of more of a motivation to say, see you champ or something like that. But it kind of came out of nowhere. If It did feel kind of, it, it did feel kind of forced you know like of all the words 
I mean, he could have said, well, he wouldn't have said slugger, but he could have said like mate. Or, I mean, like man, yeah, or man, whatever. But I mean, but to pick that particular word, I mean, it's like you know, it's the inciting incident. I get it, but I mean, it's like it didn't happen organically. It's like one of the only false notes that I mm-hmm. that that I've like kind of uh, clocked in the show. That's, that's why it stands out, right? Yeah, because, for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay, so that so that must be your American ears because to me, perfectly normal. And I think I made the point. Oh, I don't remember if it was a Facebook post or on here. It cracked me up in series uh, in episode one when after Graham dies, um, and Dave grabs the the wallet of of money and get, walks away from Gaz, and Gaz goes, huh, "Easy, Tiger." So mm-hmm. Tiger is a word that's thrown around like you could someone you've never met might you might bump into them in a bar and they say oh you know you first you go oh thanks tiger or thanks tide and so the same thing with champ it's like um you know somebody falls over you find somebody on the street and they're on they they look like they're unconscious you might rock up put your hand on them and say you okay champ Mm. yeah it's so it's commonly used like that as a euphemism for mate or like buddy champ gives him the biggest fucking stink eye in the world for saying that and adam is just like taken aback and ray just thinks it's hilarious and as they walk away he kind of fills him in so once again you know ray is the mentor to this newbie adam um and it's and it's it's charming but it it definitely sets us up for some um for some bad times for adam all right so next we have you know uh, damon harriman freddie visiting ray in prison and he's there not just to visit him, but to ask him to do to do a job. It's kind of a nice little exchange there. Uh, but Ray needs the money because his lawyer, it's very expensive. And so he's going to, you know, he's going to do whatever this job is that um, he's got to do inside prison. Yeah. So first, first of all, when when Freddie appears without warning at the uh, at the meet and greet there in the visitor section, I just laugh my ass off because. The last time we saw Freddie was when he said to Ray, famously after Ray, you know, almost executed his grandma and shotgunned his 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 uh, his, his familial home. He's when Ray walked into the club. There's Freddie. I can't remember if he had socks on or not, but he's all serious <laughs> and he and he says, "You can't work here no more." And, and and Ray goes, "Yeah, okay, I get it." And that was like the end of him and Freddie, and then it sort of morphed into. The series morphed into him and Dave. Uh, so when I see Freddie sitting across the the, the sort of um, the, in the other chair from him, I'm like, ah, so there's Freddie saying, sorry, we can never work again. But guess what? You said Ray needs the money. No, Freddie would not let anything get between him and a dollar. And if this bloke is offered big money to get this bloke, you know, uh, get a lesson taught to him in prison, there he is with Ray. It's like, you know bygones be bygones this is business so how you going mate you know blah 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 and it and again and like for me this is where this relationship is where the comic relief really pays off in this show the dynamic between him and freddie you know where freddie's like whispering through the air slot right <laughs> yeah. like about doing a thing you know what i mean and ray yeah. just kind of like coaxing trying to coax him a little bit more you know and i, I you know their timing together is really the energy between these two guys is really great. And I was really happy to see him back. See yeah. That, mm. See the character back of Freddie. You know, it, it was, it was a bummer that, that they ended the way they did. It made perfect sense. Yeah. There's no way Ray could work for him anymore. Yeah. Mm. No, I, yeah. I, we'll talk to him about a, uh, another episode later where Freddie comes back, where he literally has two words, not even two lines, two words. 
but it doesn't matter because when Damon is on screen, he doesn't need words. I mean, he's mm. just got such this incredible presence. So um, next up, we just have this poor Adam is just getting the shaft. I mean, he's getting, you know, definitely menaced by Champ and his goons. And he doesn't know what to do about it, right? He's just a newbie to this world in comparison to Ray, who's just like, well, you got to fucking kick his ass. I mean, you have to strike first. Like, you know, his defense is offense. Yeah. Whereas Adam's defense is no, <laughs> it's nothing. He's, he's, he's just not built for this world. He shouldn't be there. I, I, I do. I do have this suspicion, like he's told Ray the story about breaching the AVO. And I just wonder, like in Australia, realistically, if you've texted your, you know, your ex missus about a, a, a apprehended violence order (AVO), I'm not sure you'd be on remand for that, to be honest. Um, but he certainly is—he's, uh, uh, you know, in prison terms, a new fish, and he's definitely a fish out of water. Like he is not—he's nothing in his life has equipped him for this. But I wonder if he's in there because he's actually underplayed the, that story to Ray, whether he's. I was I was wondering that too. I, yeah, I, I was wondering about that too. If it's a possibility, if Sweet Adam was going to turn out to be actually one of those charm and harm offenders, mm, it doesn't seem yeah, like yeah. that's what happened. But but um, it's just funny. I mean, Brian, tell me about this scene again. Ray making tea. It seems just a innocuous thing. <laughs> He's making his tea. Um, well, the con- and that's the thing. The conversation is so mundane. Where they're just like again, like with the putting the the bed sheet on the bed. When they first meet, right? The activity, it's it's just being the camera as a witness and they're having this conversation. And it's there's nothing remarkable about the ingredients. Yeah, he's making a cup of coffee, is what it looks like, or preparing his tea or whatever. And then mm-hmm. that tracking shot of them walking them through the prison. And then the surprise of that hot liquid being thrown in the guy's face and seeing like a piece of they showed just enough of the guy's face where it's like. The skin mm. has been like taken away. I mean, like I noted, I clocked it immediately. Like this is not just a standard kind of like hot water burned his face. This is something much worse. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and I was like, holy cow, what it is a great thing that this show doesn't tell us in the moment what that was. We mm-hmm. find out later mm-hmm. what right, the thing right. was, right. but in the moment it's like, it just is what it is. And they allow the audience to like, just take in the information and make of it what we will. Well, in some ways, we're, Adam is standing in for us because he, he's just gobsmacked when he sees just Ray so nonchalantly, you know, do the hit. I mean, it's not a hit, but, you know, throw mm. the, the stuff in trans face. And Adam is just like, what? He just does not understand the <laughs> rules of this world. And, and he doesn't know what to think of, of Ray. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that scene was interesting because it was uh, until he walked into the cell and I saw it was Johnny Tran. There, as you said, there's Adam trailing behind him, literally like three steps behind him like a puppy, mm-hmm. and they're chatting. And Ray's got what looks like his coffee, but he was stirring it in the you know the group room, and he was just <laughs> mixing all that nasty shit together. And so um, I was sort of surprised that he just sort of. Uh, but not when you think about it, it's like it's good cover because it's just him and, a, and, and, and another prison inmate walking along, uh, you know, the corridor chatting and then all of a sudden, boom, and then he just walks off like nothing happened. So, in, in fact, it's typical Ray, but I was like, oh, wow, that came out of nowhere. So I guess that would make me a fish in prison as well. I mean, obviously. that's the thing that's so remarkable. I mean, that's the thing I love about the character. He does everything 
so deliberately and so calmly. Mm-hmm. Like there's no like, effortless. there's no nerves. It's mm-hmm. all just effortless, just the, mm-hmm. all of it. And, and so then the surprise is, is that much more effective mm-hmm. for us as an audience because we really literally don't see it coming. He yeah. doesn't mm. telegraph it at all. G'day listeners, subscribers, uh, fellow Mr. Inbetween fans, which we assume you must be. If you're listening to this episode, we certainly hope you like it. But coming up, we've got some episodes that we feel you are not going to like. That's because you are going to love them. Because in just over the next week or so, we are going to start dropping, not recaps, we thought we might talk to some of the people involved in Mr. Inbetween. You might know some little actors like Nicholas Cassim, who of course plays Ray's brother, the beautiful character Bruce. You might know a little actor by the name of Damon Herriman, famous the world over these days. Dewey and Justified, amongst many other things. He's just returned from working with Tarantino and David Fincher, and of course plays Freddy on Mr. Inbetween. And we've given a leg up to a new bloke, someone new to the industry, first-time actor, first-time writer, a little guy you might have heard of by the name of Scott fucking Ryan, is on the pod. And by the way, people say he doesn't answer questions. Well, guess what? He answers ours. So... Keep an eye on that podcast feed. Look for these eps as they drop into your podcast catcher of choice. And let me tell you, if you have half as much fun listening to them as we did recording them, then you are in for a treat. Stay tuned. What do you make of this next scene where uh, Ray and Adam are, are back in their cell and Adam is is meditating and Ray just cannot like what are you doing and, and he kind of tries it. I think this is all setting a lot of this is setting us up for later episodes um where yep. you know, he just he just doesn't get it now but it, it clearly has an effect on him later. Uh I thought it was just such a I don't know. I love these little quiet little scenes, you know, where you see the difference between these two guys. I think, I think again, like the first two episodes are establishing changes that, that Ray is going through Mm -hmm. and will go through Mm -hmm. like as the series progresses. And I think this is just one of those um, examples of, of something coming into his life that's going to have impact on him personally. Right. Mm, Oh, I forgot to mention that. I'm sorry, Dean, In, in this scene, you know, Adam, you know, kind of asks him, why did you do that? And Ray's just very, it was a job, you know, he did something bad to somebody else and you got to pay for it. And Adam, he just doesn't understand that code. He doesn't understand that, you know, and his, his, he thinks there's got to be a different way to resolve these things. And Ray is like, no, I mean, you know, violence is often the answer, you know, that's his life outlook. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this and whether it's consistent or not, but in a classic, you know, the classic three act sort of kind of a structure, Ray seems to be in, in this one mm-hmm. and certainly in the episode, episode five, and I'm pretty sure in episode four, it's, they're only 30 minute eps, but he sort of merges acts one and two into a single act. And then there's act three and act one in, in this scene and in the one that just aired most recently 
it's Ray the Hitman. And then there's some little interlude scene and that it's used as a jump off point to get to Ray the Human Being. And so in this episode, it's it's Ray in prison, you know, Ray paying the price for whacking this guy and doing whatever, and even though he's being nice to Adam, but he also performs that job for um, uh, for Freddie. And then through the scene with Brit in the car, it then goes to Ray, the human being. And, you know, he's trying to convince the mum that he's a good guy and blah, 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 blah. And and the same thing happened in the episode last night, 20 minutes. And, and in the first season, 20 minutes of that epic shootout and all that really cool stuff, and then flips to Ray as a human being. So I'm not sure if it's consistent. I've got to go back and watch the eps, but I just thought that that was interesting structure. Yeah. Listen, I, and I love the fact, I mean, you know, I mentioned this in the last pod. Louis does, did this, Louis C.K. did this with Louis, right? Where he busts the, the form, right? I mm. think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, a lot of writers who'll be like, it's got to be three X, right? They're, you know, they're yeah. beholden to that. It's that thing. And if it's not that, then it's like, oh, it's, it's garbage. And these, these guys have like turned that on its head. Mm-hmm. They're just telling the story the way they want to tell the story. Mm. Right. And that's that authenticity of intention. I, I do believe comes through in that, in that storytelling. It doesn't have the overly uh, sentimental beats that you expect. Oh, just to say, I just wanted to get this out before I forgot about it. And that was that I radio interview that Ray did um, with the dude in Sydney. Uh, I think we put it on our Facebook page last week. Scott Ryan, he mentioned during the interview that, well, you know, I've had 14 years to write the script, right? So essentially from the time that he was workshopping and 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 try, and try shopping uh, the magician to all these people and working with Nash and so on and so on. And I thought, oh, yeah. So those first six episodes and probably even parts of the second series because it was six eps in the first series and eleven. Sure, he'd probably been living with those for a while and knew what he was going to Ex- do. But now, but now that we're in season three, and that's something I want to ask him. Yeah, did he ever imagine that this would be the payoff, or, or this is where it was going to go? Yeah, and so I was a little bit concerned. I mean, I, I wasn't concerned because he's such a good writer. Um, but I just thought, oh, gee, I hope that you know he didn't. It, it wasn't that fourteen years that took to get everything into seasons one and two. And that season three might be a disappointment, but holy cow, especially mm. after last night's episode, which episode five, which we will get to, he is just an incredibly taut, tight writer. Mm. He reminds me a bit of Elmore Leonard, if you're into fan, uh, if you're into um, crime. Um, so the next scene we have is, uh, I didn't think much of these this this whole section with Matt. I love Matt Nabel, but, you know, he's strong arming. The guy who um, who Ray hit and everything. I mean, any anything to say about these scenes? I just thought it was kind of your typical like again, like the the public menacing, the public like I'm going to take you away, like at his in, like at his place of employment. For me, it felt like a false note, like any other like picking him up off the street, right? Getting him in his neighborhood, right? You know, some it just felt too kind of not smart. And maybe that's a function of who the character of Dave is like, and how brazen is. He's willing to go to a guy's place of work and like pluck him out of his office. You know what I mean? It just yeah. it felt so dangerous and so needlessly dangerous. Yeah. It just kind of shows what a badass he is. And it's just a function. The plot needs to have this witness recant. Right. And mm. so uh, to get Ray out of jail. And so this is kind of the funny way to do it is to have Dave come in and, and strong arm him and throw him in a pit and make him pee his pants and all that stuff. I didn't mind, yeah. the, I didn't mind the pit stuff, I, but I did mind like 
the manner which he got him to the pit was just like, yeah, yeah, so unsafe, you know. No, it, did, it, it didn't bother me at all because mm-hmm. because when Freddie when um Freddie asks uh, uh uh Ray, you know, what's going on or something, and he says, "Oh yeah, I've got a good lawyer l- looking into it." He's not paying a lawyer. He's talking about Dave. This is what this is his strategy, his legal strategy. Oh, there, gotcha. There gotcha. is no lawyer. That's oh, Dave. Okay. He's spoken to Dave and said, and so the ten grand when when Freddie says, "Look, it's ten k," he's like, "Yeah, that's good." So he's going to slip that to Dave. I got gotcha. uh, obviously, I and say, that. "Right, go out and tell this motherfucker to keep his mouth shut and drop the charges." That's his strategy. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like the the danger is like. If the guy decides not to cooperate, there's a whole host of people in this building. You know what I mean? It's so, to me, it just it didn't seem like the smart way to go. I mean, he could have like plucked him <laughs> off the streets in any in any way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like percentages are not working in his favor. Mm-hmm. Mm. Again, that's my well, as a as a wannabe well, criminal. You know, <laughs> I I have a really good friend who works in the homicide squad um, here in Australia in Melbourne, and he said crooks are just like you and me. They're just they're bolder. And dumber, he said. You wouldn't believe how dumb they are, right? Mm. And you see this even in Goodfellas. It's like normal people wouldn't take the risks that those characters do, for example. And he said, criminals they don't think in the long term, especially like someone like Dave. He's already he's faced with death all the time. You know, Ray could have bumped him at the end of series one. He didn't. Blah blah blah. So he, a character like Dave, wouldn't give a fuck about walking into a panel beating shop and just showing that gun and saying, "Get in the car." Or I'll kill you. And with a face like um, Matt Nables, if that was me, I'd be like, I don't know what's going to happen when I get in the car, but <laughs> this guy's going to kill me on the spot if I don't. And I guess it is a real contrast between Dave and Ray because we have seen Ray like with the jogger who was the accidental mm. hit. Like yeah. how he did that was really clever. You know, like getting him alone, getting him mm-hmm. isolated. Yeah, you know, so to yeah, see. yeah, yeah. So, so to see right. the contrast in styles, I mean. I can buy that. I mean, it just shows like Dave is, is a loose cannon. He's a loose cannon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, here we have this next section for Adam. He's surrounded by violence. Even this, just the sad inmate in the wheelchair gets his face punched in for, you know, turning the TV channel and poor Adam, you know, goes to the bathroom and gets just pounced on by the champ. And, uh, you know, (laughs) And Ray is just sort of, he, he kind of knew it was going to happen, you know, and he yeah. goes and takes a look into the stall and he sees Adam and he just walks away. And then you just kind of see a shot of Ray on his bunk, just kind of being a little bit pensive. I mean, you knew this was coming. You knew poor Adam was just too sweet and dopey not to get his ass kicked, you know, survival of the fittest, you know, and he just, mm. he just wasn't. Ray has these amazing, or Scott as the actor does some interesting stuff with his mouth and his lips and his teeth. And uh, he did it with the death scene at Graham. We spoke about in the last episode, um, how he turned away from Graham when he finally died. And he had this weird look of, you know, kind of distaste, disgust, and sort of, uh, what the fuck, that wasn't necessary kind of thing. And in this scene, I did notice that there's Ray and he sees the other inmate unnamed just go up to the um stall and then Mm -hmm. run away right and then ray starts walking over ray already knows what he's going to find in there right and then i did make a note if you if you're curious folks it's at 1356 but it's at the point where ray the camera's inside of the pov is inside the stall ray looks in to see adam all fucked up and there's just this look on his face it's these little facial tics like 
I knew this was going to happen. You know, I, I don't know. You just see all these emotions going through these little movements on his yep. mouth. Brilliant, brilliant acting. Yeah. He's also a great sloucher. Boy, nobody slouches <laughs> yeah. at the wall like Scott Ryan. I'm just, I'm just looking at some of the, I, I've got the episode up in front of me and I'm kind of just sliding through the, the um, frames and it, his whole body, like the, the kind of the more relaxed he looks, the more, uh, the more dangerous mm. he feels. Mm. You just, you just reminded me of the way that um, when he, bro- when Ali broke up with him and the way that he slouched in the door of the kitchen, she was in the kitchen and he was just sort of slouched against the door frame and he never came any further. And that whole conversation was just reverses of um, of him in that one position until he just turned around and walked out. You're right. He's got the slouch down. Well, and, and here's the thing, too. So whereas he was hired to do a job on Johnny Tran and he executed the job the way he was intended, the guy who Adam called champ, like by prison kind of code, is within his rights to exact his revenge Mm. right which which ray fully understands but it's different because he knows adam and he knows that adam is not of this world he knows that he's almost too good for this world and i think that that's it's a different variation on the on the graham death scene right it's hitting him where it's it maybe it didn't before right where Mm. he's seeing he's not seeing it just black and white he's now seeing the shades of gray of mm, mm. of his professional yeah, and his you know, world when you, when you think about it he could have put adam under his protection you know it could have been oh yeah kind of a yeah. like don't fuck with my little pal here or whatever but he didn't he didn't engage i mean he did uh, a little bit like champ hey he was he didn't know what he's saying but he didn't like you know in other prison you know tv shows that i've seen you have that sort of don't mess with my boy and that kind of mano a mano, you know, mm. contest. And so he didn't get involved. So clearly when they first met, because the that character's name, by the way, is Harris, the one you call Champ, who he clearly <laughs> is not <laughs> or doesn't like being referred to as that. Anyway, <laughs> his name is Harris. And it, when, when Harris bumps into Ray, he's like, ah, you know, and so they've got history. So we could have said, as you, and I never thought of this, but you're right, Lisa, we could have said, oh, don't worry about it. He's a new guy. And he could have just looked at him with a hard look and said, He's with me. Like, you know, just, just leave it. But he didn't. Uh, okay. So Ray is out of prison. He kind of, you know, says adios to the prison guard and just is on his way. Um, and we know why. Of course, we've just talked about it. And he goes over to his ex-wife's house. Again, I love the the portrayal of the, of the ex-wife. I mean, so many times the ex-wife is just a raging bitch and just has no respect. You know, there's just no respect for those characters. And you only see it from, you know, the you'd only see it from Ray's point of view that she's just horrible. Um, but, you know, she's a mom dealing with this teenager and she's sort of like, OK, good luck. <laughs> she's in a mood. <laughs> Brittany comes out and they have this little scene in the car. What do you guys think of this this whole section here? I'm just going to jump in here to say I'm always curious because it's never made so far. Yet obvious. Not only has she got to deal with Brit having, you know, going through being a teenager, but she's got to deal with Ray. Now, I wonder how much she knows about Ray. They've never been explicit about whether she knows what he did. And that's the ex wife. Yeah, the ex wife. Oh, I think it's pretty clear that she knew what he did and and did not want that life anymore and was now. Are you just assuming that, or is there something that I don't remember in the film? I'm feeling feel like in, F- in the first in the season, film, in the that the first season there was this unspoken body language, like, you know. Ah, okay. Uh, 
I have the I have the same feeling as Dean though. Like there hasn't been anything really. I mean, like I think maybe it was. I mean, if anything, the divorce happened because of his anger, which is mm. different than like knowing what he did. Mm-hmm. The fact that he the fact that he was able to keep the fact that he was in prison while on the phone in prison. You know. But he doesn't really keep it in. Pr- he doesn't really keep it because the whole the whole city. I mean, the whole town knows that he was in prison, and mm-hmm. Brittany doesn't believe him when he says, "Oh, I'm just in Brisbane." Um, I don't know. This is a question we can ask Scott. Yeah, Ryan. I'd be curious. Um, yeah, yeah. I get mm. the feeling that she knows the score. She's not an idiot. She, you know, the ex-wife like just needed out. It didn't seem like he had a front for the job. Like, what does she think he does? Like, he doesn't have some sort of, he doesn't run a deli or he doesn't run a, you know, he doesn't seem to have a front. Well, he was security at Freddy's Club. Yeah. Well, but that was uh, a good point. But, but remember now, uh, in the, in terms of the series, this first episode of episode three has picked up a year after, after Bruce's death. So, you know, that's, and of course, in, in real life, it's longer. That's why Brit has changed so much. So, oh, yeah. And, I'm, just, okay, and he, I'm, I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like during the marriage or during the marriage oh, time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, I, I, I was, I thought Lisa was talking about Brit. Like, okay, he used to work security, but now for the last year. Um, yeah, Dad, who knows? She's older. She's like, Dad, what do you do? And she's, you know, uh, later on, other things happen. But yeah, I just love the way that he said, yeah, look, I, I, she said, you know, you, you were in jail. You weren't in Brisbane at all. And he said, I'm sorry. And she just shoots back. She goes, you're just sorry that I found out. Right. <laughs> right. She's very savvy. I mean, she, she straight out says, you're a criminal. And he tries to say, well, in this case, you know, I was just trying to defend myself. I don't know. I, I get the feeling. And, and clearly her little friend isn't allowed to spend the night. Um, so the word's out that he's in jail. Um, so what do you make of the scene with the with the housewife or with the mom coming to the door, he's trying to plead his case and say, please, will your daughter, you know, can she come over and stay with Brit? And the mom is just giving him the ice. I mean, she's just freezing him out and is not having it. It's an interesting meeting of two worlds, you know, the world of life on the straight and narrow meeting his world. And he's finding out he can't have both. They're you know, getting closer together. They're merging. He's kept them separate. <clears throat> well, we've seen them as separate in series one and two. He's managed to keep them apart, but now they're starting to merge like a kind of a Venn diagram, you know, one overlapping the other. He's uh, he's finding it harder and harder in this series to keep his uh, professional life from bleeding out or bleeding over into his personal well, life. And the consequences are becoming more significant. And that has to do with the relationship with his daughter. Like that's what he has left to lose, mm. you know? And, and I think that he's starting to get a, a taste of that. We're seeing, yeah, we're seeing a taste of that in the, in this episode. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. And, and, and of course we see more of that in, in, in the next episodes. It's clear that as you say, Brian, it's clear that Scott has thought deeply about the arc and it's going to be interesting where it lands. I don't know. But yes, Ray is becoming increasingly aware that things are not going well. And this scene of him pleading, uh, and I said, fruitless attempt to redefine himself to Brit's friend's mum. And he's basically pleading through the door, which is unusual for him. And it reminded me and contrasted with the scene where he went um, back in uh, Series 2 F1, should have tapped when Brit was getting bullied and he'd found that girl that put him in the naked choke 
um, the UFC style naked choke and choked him out. Hence the title should have chat should have tapped. When he went and saw that mum, he was talking through the door, and that all worked out fine for him. But now he's had another discussion with another mum through another door of another friend of Brits, but he's not in control anymore. Like it didn't work for him. He wasn't successful. So it was contrasting outcomes from those chats with Brits' friends. Yeah, overall, this episode, because I've just watched episode three before coming on with you guys, this episode is really just kind of a setup episode. It's setting Mm. up the work that he's doing for this new boss. It's setting up some real conflict with his daughter where she's she's starting to call him out on his shit. And I can't say it enough, but the little girl playing Brit is so phenomenal. She managed to communicate the sweetness of Brit as a little girl or, you know, a pre preteen, mm. you know, and the, and the closest that she felt with her dad and with Bruce, her uncle Bruce. And now that she is in this other time of life, she is capturing that in such an effortless way. I just like, there's again, there's like no strain in it. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, she, and this is Nash Edgerton's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that there, it, you know, it goes to the point of like the curb feelers that like Nash and Scott have, right, as collaborators. And there's curb feelers that that Nash and, and Chica have, you know, as parents. What's curb feeler mean? Mm. Curb feelers like old people who uh, still drove. They would attach something to the side of their cars huh? so that if they veered. What? Yeah. Really? So if they veered too much and they would it would hit the curb and they would know that they were. I just had a, mo- I just had a moment of realization that Nash as a director I wonder, and I don't know whether we'll be able to get him on before the series finishes or not, but I would love to ask him about how we felt because uh, prior to production beginning, like basically prior to shooting, because he's cast, well, Ray was, uh, Scott was already pre-cast and pre-baked into the deal, as we know. In the first episode we did, Lisa, I've never forgotten the way that you said this. You said that, you know, I love this thing. And so, of course, you know, the first thing I did was jump on INDB pro and go look for this guy and see what he's done and he had done fucking nothing i think was the exact quote that you said prior to this so you couldn't believe that he had nothing in 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 his um in his history chica the same she has zero credits prior to this so credit to nash for he's got two actors who were pivotal to the to the whole entire storyline who have never acted before and one of them is his daughter it's like Whoa, that's a that, yeah, that's a it's big a risk, but that's it's a, a lot to it, take it, on. It, yeah, it paid off, and I think it was a brilliant choice. All right, guys, so that does it for episode two. When we come back, Mm-mm. we're going to be jumping into episode three, which the last third of it I thought was pretty darn genius. And hey, maybe maybe we'll get Nick to Nick Kassim to to talk to us about three. I don't know. We need to talk about that. All right, guys, thank you, my sexy beast. This is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Audio engineering by Dean Laffin. Logo art by April Laffin. Website and big fat opinions courtesy of me, Brian Allen Hill.